Dalit, Parshas Devarim, Chelek Yotes. We're learning in the Schos of Rafa Shlema for Harab Yosef Yitzchak Mansima Chasia and Masha Bas Batsheva. Seif Aleph. Ala Pasuk Hashem Elokeya Besechem Yosef Alechem Kocha Elif Pa'amim. Vivarech Eschem Kasher Diber Lachem. So on the Pasuk in our Parsha, it's the 11th Pasuk in our Parsha, where Moshe says, Hashem, the God of your fathers, should add up to you a thousandfold upon what was already given to you and should bless you like he said to you, Isa B'Medrash, the Medrash comments on this verse, Amrullah Yisrael, B'nai Yisrael said to Meishu, and Meishu said these words, B'nai Yisrael said to him, Rabbeinu Meishu, our teacher Meishu, Kadosh Baruch Hu, loy nasan kitzvah When Hashem blessed us, he did not put any limitation on his blessings. V'ata amarta elef pamim, but you went and you qualified and you said we should be blessed a thousandfold over. In other words, they had a complaint to him. Why did you tamper with the, with the untrammeled blessing of Hashem? Amar lahem, so Moshe said to them, What I blessed you was from me. It was a blessing from me. And when Hashem comes, and on top of that, he will bless you as he made known to you, as he said to you. And his blessing, of course, is infinite, just like Hashem is infinite, his blessing is infinite. Okay, so um, that's the Pasuk. Again, Perak Aleph, Pasuk Yur Aleph. That's the Medrash. And at the very end of the Sicha, we're going to circle back to this because Rashi imports this Medrash in totality in his parish on this Pasuk. And now the Rebbe explores this Pasuk what the Mepharshim say about this and the ramifications in, in what is an extremely elevating limotas. And the question on this Pasuk and the explanation that the Medrash gives is well known. Once Hashem blessed them with a blessing that has no limitations at all, so what can possibly be added by Moshe blessing them at all, even if he says that the blessing should come upon you a thousandfold? Isn't whatever Moshe would add already included and already abnegated in what Hashem is blessing them with because his blessing is all inclusive and infinite. And how much more so when everybody understand that included in 200 is already the original 100. We have the famous teaching that, that somebody that has 100 always wants 200. Okay, we got that. We understand that. But if somebody already has 200 and you come and you bless them with 100, what's 100 compared to 200? How much more so when you're talking about Hashem's infinite blessing without, without any limitation at all? 
Hamifarshim biyadu. So because there is this question that is so kind of clear and blatant, the Mefarshim addresses and they explained. The novelty in Moshe's bracha is Shabir that the bracha of Hashem is contingent on the Jews fulfilling their obligations in Torah and Mitzvah. In contradistinction, the blessing of Moshe is not contingent. It's not dependent on um, any uh, on any condition. Okay, so that the Mefarshim explained that that would be the efficacy, that would be what Moshe's bracha adds to what Hashem has already given to them, which would seem to be <laughs> all inclusive, and therefore there's nothing additional to add. And the Chaba says, and this explanation of the Mefarshim. And in footnote four, he lists uh, some of the Mefarshim uh, who come to this conclusion, and he says there are more. So this explanation of the difference between Moshe and Hashem's bracha jibes with what the Gemara says. On the Pasuk, And this is a Pasuk from the Navi Heisheya. So on that Pasuk, the Gemara asks a question. And the question is, first it says, Vahaya misbar b'nei Yisrael. First it says, and the number of b'nei Yisrael will be. And then it goes on to say, it won't be able to be counted. It will not be able to be quantified. So which one is it? Is the number going to be huge? Or is it going to be completely unquantifiable? And the Gemara answers, Khan bizman Yisrael in one place is talking about when the Jews do what Hashem wants them to do. And Khan, the other part of the Pasuk is talking, when they're not in line with Hashem's will. meaning, that when the Pasuk in says, when it talks about a quantifiable number, that is talking about a time that this is true even when they don't align themselves with the will of Hashem. Masha Inkin, in contradistinction, but then the second part of the Pasuk that talks about a blessing that is without limitation, it cannot be quantified, it cannot be counted. That blessing is only relevant when the Jews do Hashem's will. Okay? So, the Rebbe says that what the Mefarshim say to answer the question of what could Moshe's bracha possibly add to the bracha of Hashem, so what the Mefarshim say aligns very nicely, it dovetails what the Gemara says on a similar pasuk in Haisheya. And the Rebbe says in brackets, acher, or you could even say this a little bit differently. The bracha of Moshe devolves upon the time now. And, and the full, unvarnished, unlimited un, un, bracha of Hashem will be in the time to come. And this jives with what the Medrash says, that 
that in this world, the Jews can be numbered, it can be counted. But in the time to come, Ben Israel will be like the granules of, of, of um, sand on, on, on the bank of the, of the ocean that cannot be counted and cannot be measured. So the Rebbe says, this is all nice and good, and it all really, uh, you know, congeals, and everything's perfect, except but from the terminology of the Medrash in our Parsha, the Medrash which we began with, the Medrash that Rashi imports, mashma, it is understood, that what Meisha says to Bnei Yisrael is not where these are, these brachos talk to different times or different eras or different possibilities in your alignment with God's will. No, that's not what he says. He says this is my bracha, and the other bracha is God's bracha. But from Meisha's response to Bnei Yisrael, it's mashma that they both. Um, exist at the same time. It's not a matter of them being staggered in different eras. It's not a matter of them being relevant based on the Jews' behavior. They both exist at the same time. This means, this means, the Rebbe wants to make sure we understand clearly. This means that even at the time that Hashem's blessing is relevant and is working, in all its Infinity, there is something about Moshe's bracha, notwithstanding the fact that it is limited, that is efficacious in a whole different way. The Sikhas and Chelek Yutas. Yeseramizu, more than this. Kain Mukhrach, this is also kind of. Uh, forced, we, we must accept this explanation, Mistimas Perish Rashi Khan, from the terseness of Rashi's explanation on this very Pasuk, on his lack of exposition. Shehevi Lashon HaMidrash, Lilaikol Toisefes Birbazeh, he brings the Midrash, he doesn't add, he doesn't say anything additional, and so, in keeping with Rashi's style, that Rashi comes to explain Pshutushal Mikra, we understand that this Midrash is Pshutushal Mikra. And that this also is in line with the Pshutushal Mikra of the Pasuk in Heshea. That that Pasuk too is not talking about two different times, like the Gemara explains it. But rather, Heshea is, is, is forecasting that at the same time that Bnei Yisrael will be able to be counted, they will be unable to be counted. There will be an aspect that eludes um, quantifiable uh, features. And in like fashion with what we've discussed above in Sif Aleph, that the bracha of Moshe 
notwithstanding its limitation, is not abnegated, is not subsumed within the bracha of Hashem. We find this also in these words, Yosef Alechem Gufa. Okay, so these words, Yosef Alechem, are also in the Pasuk that we are discussing. Again, Perak Aleph, Pasuk Yud Aleph. And on the words, Yosef Alechem, Kefishen is Parsha Bemedrash, the Midrash comments on the words, Yosef Alechem. And what does the Midrash say? Yosef Alechem Kachem. That Hashem will add like this to you. Why did he bless them with a term that talks about additional blessings? And Medrash answers, because what Hashem adds additionally is even more than the principle that he gave to begin with. And the Medrash goes on to give a number of, ex- of examples in which what Hashem adds is even more than what Hashem gave to begin with. So the Rebbe asks a question on this Medrash. He says, It would seem that this Midrash is hard to understand. If you say that what Hashem adds is more even than the principle with which you began, so then why would the Torah that is true, meaning that everything that the Torah says is exact and true, so why would the Torah still refer to the principle as the main thing when it has been dwarfed and eclipsed by, the, by, by what was added. In other words, if somebody gave you a hundred dollars and then, you know, um, the shulchais who have to raise money will relate to this very, very well. You know, uh, you, you get to know somebody to give you a hundred dollars. Okay, very nice. But then the relationship flowers and, and then they give you a thousand dollars and then they give you $250,000. So all of this additional you're never going to call that first $100 the ikar. That's That can't be their main gift to you. Yet Tyrus Emma says that when the Abishra gives us additional, it's additional upon the ikar. It's still calling that original gift the ikar. The Rebbe says, why? How can this be? Would it not seem that when the principle is less than what was added, so the original principle would now become something less important. It would not be referred to as the ikar, the main. So from the fact that it's called Ikar, this proves that even though what Hashem adds is much more than what is called the Ikar, the principle, but it doesn't mean that what the Abisha gave at first, that the, the principle that it becomes abnegated, that it's eclipsed by the Tesefes. The Adrab, on the contrary, who nikra ikar lagabe tesefta shal kadesh It still always remains ikar, the main, the principle, 
notwithstanding the fact that what Hashem adds is so much more. I was going to give a, a breathtaking answer to this. Gimel. And we can understand all of this first by additional explanation of what the Gemara says. Okay, remember that was the Gemara Nasheya, who said in this pasuk it's talking about two different possibilities. When it says that they will not be able to be measured or counted. It's talking about a time that B'nai Yisrael do the will of Hashem. When it says misbar, when it talks about the number of the Jews, it's talking about a time where the Jews are not aligned with Hashem's will. So Rebbe says, let's explain this a little bit more. Rebbe explains that in general, a bracha comes specifically through the work, the labor, and the overtures of B'nai Yisrael, and therefore it's understood. So we understand that even the limited bracha, that your number, that your number will be such and such, or Maisha's bracha, that you will be blessed a thousandfold, it's dependent on the Avoida of B'nai Yisrael. But when it's a limited bracha, it's because the Avoida is lacking completion. And um, interestingly enough, when the Avoida is less than complete, it is referred to as an avoda where you're not doing the will of Hashem. So in other words, I mean, and this was a, a recurring theme in the Rebbe's Torah, that it could be that you're doing a lot of good. You're doing amazing. But you're not doing as much as you could. So it's not complete. And so it's referred to as not doing the Ratzon of Hashem. And anytime you feel like this is harsh and what does Rebbe want from me, look at it the other way. Look how much faith the Rebbe had in us. He, he, he saw such greatness in us and he wanted us to see that greatness reflected in our mirrors and he wanted to push us to, to come to our, to bring our potential to fruition. Um, in, in a different sikha, the Rebbe gives a, a novel interpretation of Avaita Zara. He says, Avaita Zara doesn't have to be idol worship. doesn't even have to be an Avera. It's Avoida, that Zara, that's strange for you because you did something yesterday, today you could do better. It's an astounding interpretation of Avoida Zara. Anyway, sorry, digression. Okay, so this is called Ein Eisim Ritzayin Bedugmas Kayin. So let's take, for example, the Rebbe brings this example of Kayin. Shehevi Min He did bring an offering to God. Va'ad Not only did he bring an offering, Who's Shehevi Birishena? He was the one that brought it first. He was the one that had the idea. And the Torah makes clear that, you know, Hevel engaged in the copycat effect, as it were, because the, the Torah adds Gam Hu, he also. So what was wrong with what Kayan did? But as we all know, 
he brought from the produce that was not the most stellar, and in like fashion, in like fashion, all of our lives, even if we would bring a carbon that would surpass Kayin's uh, carbon, we wouldn't bring um, emaciated, thin, dried out produce. We would bring succulent, first grade produce. Harikol avoida mugbelas, but still the avoida is limited. Because it's quantifiable, because it's measurable. And so in the final analysis, you cannot elicit and bring down uh, unlimited bracha because you can't, through a limited mitzvah, be aligned with the, with the will of Hashem that is higher than all limitations. And these two dynamics, mispor, on the one hand, something that's quantifiable, on the other, something that cannot be measured, something that's not counted, that cannot be counted. We find it even in, in, in a higher category of avoidance. Rabbeinu Azokim Mivair, the Altachev explained in the Kutetera, Shavoides Hashem Bishle Musa, mispor. That when a person does the Avedis Hashem, Bishlemos, this is still called Mispar. It's still quantifiable. And Ka'i, it refers to Al Avedis Dekiyama Mitzvahs. It refers to the Avedis that you do in Mitzvahs. Shenitnu Bemispar Tayyad. Mitzvahs were given in a certain number that's quantifiable, 613. And not only that, you're not allowed to add, you're not allowed to detract. And every mitzvah has its limitations, it has its shear, it has its measure. And it's by definition, mitzvahs are a limited avoidance. But what about the second part of the Pasuk? What about that second aspect that's, that defies calculation, that defies being counted? This refers to the Avoida of Tshuva. The Avoida of Tshuva is higher than the system of development and evolution. It's it transcends any limitations. Dalit. Ka'amor, as was said, the plain explanation of the Pasuk in Hesheya that your number will be great, it will not be able to be measured or counted. The plain shot is that it's not talking about two different things. Yes, the Gemara says that this refers to two different um, possibilities when the Jews are aligned with Hashem's rots and when the Jews are not. But let's not forget that the Pshat is talking about a bracha that's given, that your number will be so great that it will not be measurable. That it's one thing. 
And the Rebbe says, and so we have to import that same paradigm where we're not talking about two different things. Because before in Siv Gimel, we were saying one refers to mitzvahs and one refers to tshuva. But the Rebbe says, but wait a minute. We also have to understand it in the way the pshat. Just like in the Pasuk, it's talking about one thing. It's describing, yes, a misbar, but at the same time, the number is so high that you can't count it. So too, must this be the case in our Hashem. Shagam ha'inyin de misbar, that, that part of our avayda that is under the category of misbar, that's quantifiable, that is talking about mitzvahs, that too, kashur ima ilui delo yisafer. That too has a transcendent, non-quantifiable feature about it. Although it's true that there's a certain number of mitzvahs and every mitzvah has its own metrics, as it were, and has its own specifications. But on the other hand, through them, yes, you do align yourself with the will of Hashem. Because through doing a mitzvah, you can pull on the celestial will that is higher than all limitation that lo yisafer can never be counted. And so what's the difference between the two different types of aveda? When you do mitzvahs, the, the unlimited or infinite affluence is not revealed. Because avoida that is revealed can't encapsulate or deal or show, no, not encapsulate, but can't showcase something that is higher than limitations. But in contradistinction, when you're talking about tshuva, but when you're talking about tshuva, then it's almost like they have a saying, the definition of tshuva is something that transcends limitation. It's begoloi. When you look at a person who is doing tshuva or did tshuva, you're looking at something astounding. You're looking at something that transcends hagbala, that transcends limitation and delineation. In tshuva, you have it begoloi. You have it in open and manifest and obvious way, an energy that transcends limitation. An explanation in this. Mitzvahs are the rutzen of the Avishter. They are the desire, the will of God. And just like God is without limitation, so is his will. And therefore, through mitzvahs, you could bring down the will of Hashem, which is beyond being counted, beyond being quantifiable. Lo yisafer. On the other hand, the fact that mitzvahs are measurable and have delineation, 
Okay, this is a very interesting and a, a dacustic point in Hasidus. Yes, it's true that the mitzvahs have limitation. Yeah, it's true. There's a certain amount of lines in a in in a in a mezuzah and a certain amount of klafim in 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 tefillin and v'chuli v'chuli. Every single mitzvah has measurable aspects, but it's not a limitation. It's not an external measure on the key that comes through the mitzvah. But rather, Hashem measures himself. Hashem is mitzamtim himself. Hashem limits himself. Hashem wants, it is his desire that his will that is infinite should be able to be brought down and should be able to be encapsulated dafka in these actions that are limited. The yes, sir, okay, and even more so. And he wants it done in such a way that the, the overture, the paula, should be able to be a vessel to receive the light in its measure. And because these limitations are not superimposed from an external source, this is an essential limitation. Hashem did this to himself. So in truth, this is not a limitation. So in other words, if you choose to say certain things in a conversation, but leave other things out, you have not been, you, you, it's, it's not because you're under a gag order. It's not because you've been forced into that. You decided what to say and what not to say. So that's not a limitation. That's the exercising of your free will. We call it discretion. We call it filter. Well, whatever term you want to use, discernment, whatever. But it's not something that somebody did to you. So therefore, it's not a limitation. It's, it's your MO. It's how you decided to do this. So the Abish should decide And therefore, we can have at the same time, lo yisofer, I mean, I'm sorry, Yisofer, and, and at the same time, this idea of no limitations at all. None at all. Bleakville. I just wanted to add one thing earlier. The Rebbe said that, that because the Abish is bleakful, if you if you have the Hebrew, then it's it's the last lines on the right side in, in Siv Dalit on page 26, and the first lines on the top of the left side. So the Rebbe says, Kashem just like Hashem is without um without any boundaries, so is his will without any boundaries. And therefore, through the mitzvahs, we bring down the desire of Hashem that is without limitation as well. And, um, you know, sometimes students will ask me, like, how important is this mitzvah really? 
And of course, it depends on who I'm talking to and, and you know, where they are. But sometimes I feel like I could say this to them. I say to them, well, it's very simple. Who wants you to do this? Hashem wants you to do this. Hashem is infinite. So how important is this mitzvah? Its importance is infinite. <laughs> There's no way I can explain it to you. But if the Abishta wants it, its importance is infinite. Because something is only as important as, as who needs it to be done. As, 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 as who is the source for this. Okay. Now we're going to the brackets. Le'idach, on the other hand, on the one hand, it's not a hagbalah, it's not a limitation, because really the Abishter is, is doing this. So it's it's not, it's an essential uh, limitation. It's not, it's not something that's coming from the outside. On the other hand, it's necessary. It's necessary. Because the world is a, a limited existence. And is therefore unable to receive God's unlimited light. Because if Hashem would direct his, his unlimited light at the world, it would be subsumed in, in that light. It would go bye-bye. And because the Abishter created a, a reality in which the avoid of Torah mitzvahs is connected to the existence of the world, depends on the existence of the world, depends in bracket, in, in, in uh, quotations. Therefore, there must be limitations in mitzvahs. So now we understand this passage from Hesheya as it refers to Torah mitzvahs that they're not two aspects, but rather one. Shemisbar ha-mitzvahs, that on the one hand, the mitzvahs have misbar, they have limitation, they have delineation, they have specific metrics, but it's enoi medida mitis, but it's not a real limitation. Because through them comes down this, this infinite light and energy that's not quantifiable. Okay. So if, hey, Omnum, however, Tzarech Lahavin, we have to understand. Once we establish that the point, the goal of the mitzvahs is to bring down an infinite light of God in Cain, if so, why did Hashem create such a dynamic? Why did the Abishter create such a, um, a program? Why did he create such a situation? Why did he, why did he create things like this where the Avoida is connected with a world that is unable to receive and to carry this light that Hashem wants to send down. And therefore, the Abishter would have to create mitzvahs that have certain limitations and have certain metrics in order to pull down this desire that is unlimited 
into a world that is limited. In other words, why did the Abishra decide to play Twister? There could have been an easier way. There has to be a more elegant way. If you want to bring down a light that's ain't safe and the world cannot receive it and it cannot carry it. So, so what did you do? Why, why, why did you do this? The Reb explains. He says, you have it all wrong. The fact that the mitzvahs were given to be carried out below and to be carried out within limitations. It's not because they have to be brought down below and the below has a glitch. It has a deficit and the deficit is that it has limitations. And it's only able to receive the infinite light of God if it's, if it's clothed in the limitations of mitzvahs. No, no. In other words, it's not the Abishter, um, you know, there's only one system and, and now he has to fit himself into that system. No, no, no. No, no, that's not what it is. But rather, because the ultimate elevation, the ultimate goal that Abisha wants, Abisha didn't want that that which is beligvul, that which is without limitation, should remain in a space that lacks limitation. No, he wanted He wanted the connection. He wanted the synergy. He wanted the symbiotic relationship of gvul and bleakvul. Shemis for gufa, that what can be counted, what can be quantifiable, yisale should be raised and should be elevated below yimad below yisafer to the level of that which defies quantification. And only in this way comes to full expression the strength of Hashem's essence, which is above both limitation and lack of limitation. It's like, you know, people are always surprised with this chiddush that Chassidus explains that the Abishter is no closer to heaven than the Abishter is to earth. You know, people have this dichotomy in their minds. You know, the earth, you know, it's just, you know, but heaven, no. Chassidus explains that the Abishter is equidistant from heaven and earth. Atmos is above gvul and bleakvul. And therefore, and therefore, this is only possible through essential measurement of the essence of the ain't safe. <laughs> essential measurement of the essence of the ain't safe. Meaning Hashem putting his own measurements on his immeasurable self. Brain twister if there ever was one. 
Rivki, it's it's yeah. the same idea of Eilam in a way. The whole, it's a microcosm of the idea of the Hashem made a physical world in order for us to be able to um, elevate the physical and the combination of the elevating of the physical within the physical is the ultimate goal here. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 what he's saying. That's 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 precisely what he's saying. From the perspective of the level of the lights and that which can be revealed, then it's true that from that perspective, that which is without parameters and that which is measurable are two very different things. From that perspective, there's a dichotomy. But it's only through the essential um, measurement of the essence of the Ein Saif, is it possible for there to be a connection between that which is measurable and that which is not measurable. Al derech, and here the Rebbe brings a famous example that the Rebbe kachs in many, many sikhas, makam aren ena minamida. Famously, we know that the aren did not have a measure. Now, what does it mean? Lamakam aren chayebes liyez medida al pitera. But the Torah tells us exactly what the measure of the Aaron was. Amasayim v'chetzi arka, it was two and a half amas long, etc., etc. And on the other hand, umakayim ze'ena minamida. And at the same time, we know that the Aaron did not take up any space. And we know this because we know how much space there was on either side of the Aaron to the walls of the Kadesh HaKadoshim. And we know how large the Kadesh HaKadoshim was. And so it's ena minamida. But it has meters, <laughs> it has measures, and it doesn't take up any space. And now we are in a position to circle back to what we started with. And now we can understand that with its limitations, still is not abnegated, even in the blessing of Hashem, that has no limitations at all. Why? Because Hashem's ultimate goal is not that gvul, is not that limitation, that delineation, that parameter should be abnegated. On the contrary, that there should be this connection and, yeah, connection between that which is measurable and that which is not. And that's why Moshe's bracha still has efficacy. It still remains. It doesn't get washed away. Which is Medida. So what's the, what's the um, purpose of Moshe's bracha? Moshe's bracha affects that creation, that bria, that medida, that limitation should be as complete as it possibly can be until a thousandfold. 
and afterwards, then will come the bracha of Hashem. gufa in this blessing that Moshe gave in the blessing that Moshe gave, that is limited, will be drawn down Hashem's unlimited bracha. And this bracha will not just be amazing and wondrous and, and, and um, so huge in what's measurable, but in the measurable bracha of Maisha will come the immeasurable bracha of Hashem. This is, this is huge, what's going on here. Vav. Okay, now get ready, because this is just spectacular. He says, and through this, we can explain what my father-in-law said. That very often, his father, his father, used to add to the lushing of the Midrash. So the Midrash reads, Hashem desired an abode, a dwelling place here below. And Rebbe Rashab would add as Hateba the word Yisbarech, Lies la Yisbarech, dear Azubetachtain. It would seem we need to explain this behavior on the part of Rebbe Rashab. It's true that whenever you mention Hashem's name, you should bless him. Okay, you're going to say that Rebbe Hashab just wanted to bless Hashem because this Medrash mentions Hashem. But the Rebbe says, but we did not find that the Rabbeim should act in this manner consistently, that whenever they cited a teaching that mentioned Hashem's name, they would add the word Yisbarech. And yet the Rashab, when he cited this particular medrash, would add the word Yisbarach. So we are forced to say, We're forced to say that there has to be a very particular link between the content of this particular limur that Hashem had a desire for a dwelling place in this world below and the addition of the word Yisbarech after mentioning Hashem's name. The Rebbe says we might say that this is the explanation. The whole idea of a dwelling below is it's a paradoxical thing. It contains two um, uh, extremes. Dira hiloshan hamayr al kach shakanim shechas atzmusay umuhusay yisbarach habilti balkvo. When you talk about a home, what defines a home? Not how beautiful and how big and the specifications, but rather that you can be you completely, 
Home is where you don't have to woo anybody. You don't have to wow anybody. You could let down your hair. You could kick off your heel. You could be you. So the Rebbe says, on one hand, Dira talks to a place where you could bring down your atmos. You bring down your very essence. And if you talk about the Abishter, that's where is brought down Hashem's essence, Habilti Balglo. That is that is completely immeasurable. Just like a person is found with their complete essence in their in their home. So that's on one hand. And on the other hand, where is this dira? Here in this physical world. This refers to this world that is low. There's nothing lower than it. And if anything epitomizes this world, it's the fact that everything is measurable, that everything is limited. And this is what this limud is talking about. It's intimating the, 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 the combination, the, the impossible combination of gvul and bleakvul. So the Rebbe says, Okay, let's get real. How is it possible for this lower realm, which is so limited, to be a dwelling place for Hashem, to his essence, which is without any measure at all, and at the same time to remain in existence? How is this possible? The explanation who the answer is found in this additional word that the Rebbe Hashab added to this limut that that this concept of creating a dwelling place for Hashem is only explained through the Indian of blessed, bracha, blessing. So now let's see what the Rebbe is going to tell us. But before we do that, let's just stop for a moment and understand that, I mean, maybe we didn't need this, this um, reminder, but I did, that when a Rebbe says something, adds a word, takes away a word, it's, it's pregnant with with meaning, it has tremendous significance. The Rebbe says that in this word Yisbarech, the Rebbe Shapurin, he, he uncovers a, a, a reality for us. He uncovers a whole vista, Vahabir. What's the explanation? The difference between a bracha and tfila, and this is discussed in many places in Hasidus, bracha mamshicha mashek kayim bisharish b'makar. Bracha brings down that which already exists in the root and in the source. Whereas tefillah creates a new will. And that is found in the quintessential words, Yehi Ratzin, may be your will. This is a new thing. And this is something that was not already in the root and the source. Okay. Amnam, however, when do we apply this distinction between bracha and tefillah? 
When you're talking about a human being, but in contradistinction, but when you're talking about Hashem, who, who, who's not limited, God forbid, by any limitations. So he's not limited by the fact that something is not found in the root and the source. So when you're talking about Hashem's brachas, Hashem's brachas also have the same um, qualities uh, of tefillah, which means creating a new, a new possibility. Hashem's bracha is able to create something new. That is higher than the root and the source. So we can pull down something that's that's the whole idea of benching somebody. You you want to pull down something that's hovering above. You want to pull it down that you come into their lives. Tefillah's idea of creating something new, but the Ebrish says this distinction is only relevant to humanity because we are governed by limitations. The Ebrish is not governed by what is in the root, what is in the source, and what's not. The Hainu this means this means that in the bracha of Hashem are found both extremes. On the one hand, Hashem, of course, can reach higher than the root and the source of creation. Higher than, than the whole system of evolution or development or whatever word you want to use. Maybe devolution is the proper term. And Ebeshu brings it down below. Bring it down from above to below. So you have the two extremes. You have reaching up to above Ishtalshlos to bring it down within Ishtalshlos. How does this now apply to what the Rebbe said? was the inclusion of another word, Yisbarach. Now listen, this you have to hold on to your seat. The possibility for this lower realm to be an abode for Hashem, for Hashem's essence, can only be explained through this notion of the blessing of Hashem. Hapayeles is in in Yisbarach that creates this in in of Yisbarach. Hainu, what does this mean? Hamshacha milmaila miseder hishdalshlos el toich seder hishdalshlos. The whole idea of adira is only plausible to to bend our brains around, to wrap our minds around when we understand this idea of pulling from above hishdalshlos. To within Hishdalshlos. Wait, Vadayan Eina Muva, but still not understood. The ability to co join limitation with that which transcends limitation. If we're saying this is only in Hashem's toolbox, because Hashem is higher than both, 
So then why did we say earlier that this is dependent on our work, that that's what David wanted? Because it would seem that our avoida, no matter what we do, is still going to be limited. And therefore, we can only bring down a limited light. The explanation is, as has been explained many times, Hashem's desire was that everything that is revealed above should not come into our lives as bread of shame. So this is an oft-cited term from the Gemara, that when somebody gets something that they did not earn, as exciting as it is, it's still tinged, it's still sullied by a shame that they got something and they didn't earn it. So this is called Nama Sufa, bread of shame. And the Ibsen does not want us to suffer that sense of shame, of getting something that we did not work to deserve. And therefore, everything that has to come down, even that which comes down from a place that is higher than what we should be able to reach, is still connected with our work, with our avoda. And therefore, even though the ability for this world to be a dwelling place for Hashem comes from above as a present, it's superimposed. We didn't ask for it and we didn't do anything to earn it. Okay, this, there has to be what the Gemara calls the, the person receiving the gift must provide some satisfaction or pleasure to the one who is giving it. And only then will he give the gift. In other words, Rebbe is saying, even if somebody is going to give you a billion dollars, and even if really you, you're not shy to pull down that gift, but there still has to be something that you did that created the desire in this person to give you the gift. First, there has to be our avoda b'shlemus. We have to do as much as we can. This is the bracha of Moshe, that Hashem should give you a thousand fold, meaning there should be shleimus in what you could do. And only then will something come down to you that comes from a transcendent place. And now we understand the whole notion of birchas koyanim, right? It's so bizarre. The Kaihanim bless Bnei Yisrael as Shluchim of a Baruch Hu. And they're bringing down a blessing that is above Ishtal Shlos. It would seem. The Ebishter wants to bless the Jews. What does he need the Kaihanim for? 
Why does it have to come through their agency? <laughs> what, he needs them? He could bless them. Hashem could bless us directly. But the concept is as what has been discussed. The celestial desire is, the celestial um, intention is, that the blessings that come from above the order of evolution those blessings too have to be brought down through the avoda betachtoinim. Tess, alpizem muvan. Through this we will understand. That even though B'nai Yisrael have the blessing of Hashem, but through Moshe's blessing, that brings B'nai Yisrael to their completion, right? Elef, the Rebbe says it's completion. Nif Elef HaShlemus Kabyachol B'Vachas HaShlemus Baruchus She'ein Loi Kitzma. Only through Moshe's blessing can B'nai Yisrael get the complete blessing of the Abishra that has no measure at all. Not only is Moshe's blessing not extraneous and superfluous and completely eclipsed and becomes nothing, Lagabe Hashem's blessing, on the contrary, Rabbi's now Mechadesh said only through Moshe's blessing could the Abish's blessing come down, Kav Yochel, because the Abish decided to do it that way. And now we circle back, and now we're in a position to actually understand this. Now, of course, everybody reads this and has no question till, till the Rebbe points out this klotzkasha, <laughs> and now the Rebbe explains it. The question was, how could you say that what the Abishta adds is more than the principle, <laughs> but then why would you call it the ikar, the main, if, it was, if there was totally so much more that came? So this is the mind-boggling novelty that, that the Rebbe gave us in the Sikha. Because it's people, because it's Tachtoinim, because it's Moshe that's Mam Shir because what Hashem is going to give that's so, so great, that's so without measure, was initiated, as it were, through the Avoida of B'nai Yisrael. Therefore, their bracha, the original bracha, is still called ikar. Because it always remains the reason, the siba for the mesuvah, it remains the reason for why Hashem gave it to Yisafas. And that's why it's always called the ikar. Finally, you. Sorry, can I just ask you a quick question? I don't understand why in the 
previous, um, the first paragraph of test, it looks like the Rebbe says, and this, uh, maybe I just don't understand what the Rebbe is saying here, that when Moshe blesses them, then it makes it that it's not Naimah Diksufa. Why? Why is it not Naimah Diksufa? If Moshe blesses them, ah, then if okay. Hashem does, like a blessing either way seems like it's something you get without. Right. But in this Sikha, what the Rebbe did was use Moshe's blessing as kind of code for what we do in this realm. Right? The whole time, the Rebbe was paralleling Moshe's bracha. What is Moshe's bracha? The avoda that we do in this, in this world. And since it's our avoda, it's not nama d'chsufa. It's almost like a symbolism. Yeah, yeah. That's what the Rebbe does really in every sikha. He takes something and he unfurls the different layers and the different, so he's saying, yeah, it's Maisha's bracha, but Maisha's also basavadan. Maisha's also uh, balgvul. So it's it's kind of um, it is the the code for the aspect of avoda that's that's in gvul. But but the Maila is that they should wanted that we should do it in this way, so it's not nama dechsufa. Rufkin, yeah, um, I'm trying to bring this down in a way that that. I can I can relate to it in in my life, in in our lives. It seems to me that since Moshe is the teacher to us, if you look at a, a child in a classroom who completes the lesson and and, and works really hard and, and and he completes that that lesson in the fourth grade, he should have the satisfaction, and he did it with all his heart. He should have the satisfaction that he in fact did that and he completed what had to be done. Yet, when he advances onto ninth grade or 10th grade, that same concept will be reintroduced somewhere later in his life on a completely different level. And yet when he completes that, he should again have that satisfaction, even though he, it was, he thought it was limited at the fourth grade, he thought it was limited at the ninth grade. And as we grow older, we realize that we keep cycling over, over and over and again. So the lesson, or in this case, the bracha is limitless, even though within our own limited mind, we can only understand what we can understand at that point in time, but there will be greater and greater and greater understanding of it. Is that too simplistic? No, I think that's so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for, for sharing that with us. That, that's beautiful. No, I don't think it's too simplistic. I would only add that the Rebbe references that Moshe says a thousandfold, that a thousand is, is already an Indian of Shlemus, of completion. So um, in, in, in the, you know, in what you described, maybe it would be when a person, when they're 120, understands an idea that they first heard in fourth grade in the ultimate way that it's able to be understood, perhaps. Right. And this works with, with the concepts of tshuva also. That's right. Yeah. right. yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Kol hana, all of the above, hugam menyonim buflam shebeperish rashi. All of this can also be traced back to the wondrous concepts in perish rashi. So here, I, I could wait for a minute if you want to grab... Um, unless you have it already by you, and you want to look at the Rashi 
in Perak Aleph Yud Aleph. Let's read it together because then we'll be in a better position to understand. Because the Rebbe is very cryptic here, but um, you know, brings it all together here. So um, the pasuk reads, "Hashem elokei b'seichem, Hashem, the God of your fathers, Yosef alechem kachem elef pa'amim." He should add to you a thousand times, a thousand folds. And he should bless you as he has spoken of you. Rashi says, Yosef Alechem Kachem Elef Pa'amim. May Hashem, the God of your forefathers, add to you a thousand times. Ma Shuv. What is meant by stating again, that he should bless you like he spoke of you, but what happened is, they said to Moshe, when Moshe said this blessing to them, B'nai Yisrael said, Moshe, you're putting a limit on our blessings, Hashem has already promised Avram Avinu, Hashem already said, that if one can count the dust of the earth and your offspring too can be counted, meaning he's already promised us an infinite blessing. Amar lehem Moshe, Moshe said to them, Zu mishalihi, this blessing is from me, he will bless you as he spoke of you. So in this Rashi, you could see that Rashi is referencing what Hashem said to Avram Avinu. If a person will be able to count. So now let's look in the Sikha. What was Rashi, who's the Pshuta Shal Mikra and the Pshuta the Pasuk? What did Rashi say here? But Rashi tells us that the bracha of a Kaddish Baruch Hu in this Pasuk refers to the bracha that Hashem already gave Avram Avinu, an unlimited bracha. And by Rashi connecting it to Avram, the blessing that Hashem gave to Avram Avinu, and the particular term, limnois, to count, he is also connecting it to the words of Bilam, mi mana, who counted. And, and Rashi says, on the words mi mana, Rashi says, that this is as the Targum says. And what does the Targum say on the words mi mana? That the time that, this, that these words will come to fruition, that they that will not be able to be counted, alma. When B'nai Yisrael will inhabit the entire world, and when will this be? La'asid lavoi, in the time to come, with the coming of Mashiach, Mehera v'yamenu, mamash, amen, may it be, mamash. Um, so the idea that only through our overture can the Abishra's unlimited brachas come down only through our very limited fallible lives and work can there be a that no matter what the Ebeshter gives it's always called the Iker and the Iker is our work it's, it's pretty 
pretty radioactive stuff. So I want to wish everybody uh, a week that is Eina Minamida. Whatever our limitations, we should completely, completely transcend them. Amen. We should not have to fast on Tishabav and not have to worry about the perfect menu for Shabbos afternoon because it will not be a worry at all. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Esther, words? Is she on today? Anybody else?